What's Underneath is a CastBox original produced in partnership with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all of your favorite podcasts. You can listen to What's Underneath wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot and see for yourself. Hello and welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire radical self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you. I'm Lily Mandelbaum, and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind. And we are Style Like You. In our new podcast, we are going to expand the types of intimate, unfiltered conversations we've been having in our viral video series, The What's Underneath Project. Each week, we will interview diverse nonconformists about their relationship to style, self-image, and identity. Being radically honest without shame and holding that honesty with compassion is self-acceptance. So very, very, very excited right now because... I've once again cornered one of my favorite people to interview. I've done it a couple of times before with our closet series and with What's Underneath, Molly Rosenguy. I've always just been enamored with her in in every way. And especially lately, she has started an Instagram account called Molly Rosenguy that came out of the passing of her dad within this last year. And It is an exhibition of the depth of her feelings and her writing skills, which I could only pray that one lifetime I come back and have those writing skills and that ability to communicate my emotions. And as a result, I go to it almost on a daily basis. And I'm incredibly inspired by her honesty as usual and her ability to communicate and express herself. So I'm really, I feel really honored to have her here and to be able to have, you know, this wonderful time to be able to talk to her and reconnect with her after having done these other two features that we did on her a few years ago. So. And mom, what, what is her other amazing Instagram account and business? She's also the founder of Stone Fox Bride that I'm very fond of because it's taken the veil off of the (laughs) facade wedding industry and, and, and made it, made it, made it real, made it something much less pretentious, something for everyone to be able to relate to something that isn't intimidating or superficial. So Molly doesn't do anything that's superficial, which is one of the reasons why I love her so much. So and my style like you loves her so much. So, um, so Molly, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for that generous introduction. So tell me how you are today. Um, I'm a little hormonal and a little cranky today. I'm not quite sure why, but that's, that's how I am. When you're cranky and you're hormonal, mm-hmm. uh, do you just kind of give into it? I can't, I mean, I, I function, I, I'm functioning, so I'm here, and I did work stuff this morning, and I've got two young kids, and I'm now a single mom, so I, you know, took care of them and made them breakfast and hung out with them, but there are days when I'm, you know, in a better mood than others, and I'm not in, like, the greatest of moods today, and I'm not quite sure why. Um, maybe it's, like, some anticipation leading up to this interview, so yeah, no, I mean, I normally, I try not to really give into it so much. There's nothing more depressing than like lying in your bed in summer. My dad died um, six months ago in early, in the first week in January, and it was much easier to nurse that like um, 
sadness in like the dead of winter just because everything is dark and cold and it's harder to motivate to get outside. Mm. But um, when it's like so nice and hot out and um, you've got two like kids bouncing off the walls, it's just easier to get out of the house. Mm. Right. And at the end of the day, does it pull you out of it? Like the just life and, and yeah, I'm so I feel so grateful that, you know, I really love my work. And um, I love New York City. And like, I love what I do on a day to day basis, which I'm aware is um, probably not everyone can say so I'm like, so happy to have to be able to like, get up and go and do what I have to do. Like, there's never a dull moment usually. Right. And also how, and how is being a mom and a single mom, especially because you can't like pass, pass off the responsibility. Um, it's funny because this morning, so when we were, um, splitting up last year, we had to decide like what the new routine was going to look like. And I had really bad migraines when we were splitting up. And, um, I also, am like a really bad morning person. (laughs) And for a while I thought that their dad, my ex-husband was going to come in every morning and, um, help me get them both off to school. And someone said to me, well, that's silly. You you don't need him to come in the house every day. You can get them ready yourself. And I was like aghast, like, oh my God, there's like, have you ever gotten a two-year-old and a five-year-old ready for school in the morning, like, it's like, there's no way. I mean, because that was what my, um, that's what their dad was, one of the gifts he meant, one of the many gifts he has is he's like really good at corralling them into bed and out of bed and breakfast and all of that stuff. But um, this morning when I was making them breakfast and getting them out of bed and doing all that stuff, I was thinking, wow, it's like not even a thing for me anymore, but it's one of the, um, one of the like many sort of like untapped inner resources I've learned that I have had this year that I didn't know I had last year, which was like, I've had to just find a lot of um, like energy in the mornings to deal with my kids. And um, I didn't really, and I didn't know I had it last year. And we actually sort of like have fun in the mornings for the most part. Mm -hmm. There is sort of, I think no matter what kind of mood you're in or what you're going through, there is that just beauty that life keeps going forward, you know, like moving forward, like the weather, your family. Yeah. That every morning when I take them, so their dad takes them to school and I take them down in the elevator every morning. And we, I do, if you're happy and you know it, shake your tuchis, which is a Yiddish (laughs) word for tushy. And um, we all like shake our tuchuses in the elevator. And every when I do that every morning, I'm like, wow, this is really, no one was like ha- shaking their tuchuses with happiness when I was growing up in the morning, number one. And number two, um, like we've really managed as like this three person unit is like to find a lot of like energy and joy and stuff in the morning, which I didn't think we'd be able or I would be able to do. Have you found that there's truth in, you know, the very common belief that around dark times there are there are light there is light and there are positive things that come out of hard Um, things i was looking at that william james book this week varieties of the religious experience and he said something along the lines of how um like people's definition of a higher power of god like differs across the board And you don't necessarily need to believe in a God to believe in like some sort of like spiritual experience, but what, um, to keep an open mind, um, is to believe in that we all have some sort of untapped inner resource that 
if um, we are open to it, we can tap into and find some sort of power or strength in it. And I do think that's where, like, you know, it's only if, and like, this might sound like I'm proselytizing, but sometimes it is only when you are like in really in the dark, like backed up against the wall in those like dark, 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 darkest night of the souls that you are forced, really forced um, to like dig and really dig deep to find where that, um, to find where that sort of untapped thing is it's like you know we all every now and then have that dream where you're running through the house and you fling open the door and you find that magical other room in your house and Mm -hmm. it's such a beautiful dream and you wake up thinking about oh my god I dreamt I had that other room in my house but I think that's what it is you know we do have that other room or more space inside of us if we're open enough and desperate enough to you know swim deep down into it Mm-hmm. That it's like the spirit and the or the drive and wish, you know, to be happy and to love life is like no matter what's going on, like there's still like that possibility of finding that within it. Like it's just this sort of endless strength. Yes. And I think we've seen. I mean, I don't know why people commit suicide. I can only guess, but you know, like this but very sad and bizarre week recently when both Kate Spain and Anthony Bourdain took their lives. Like, I think we were all wondering, like, why is it that I think we've all to some level felt that kind of despair at some point, like why they didn't, why they, why they like took that, that terrible next step is to, um, like kill themselves. And we like, I would have to imagine that they didn't think that they could find that like reservoir like there was no space left there was not even like a tiny little sliver of light left like Mm -hmm. under the door that they could swim under Mm -hmm. has there been a time in this last year that you felt that way no thank god never never i was always um grateful for what for what I had. I mean, it was a tough year because last May my marriage fell apart. And then, um, a few months later, my dad got really sick and, um, everything was just like pulled out, you know, from under me. I don't know if that's like the metaphor, but it was like, you know, my, like the house, like the walls of the house sort of came down, but I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like there was no like light or um, I just felt like I had, well, I had chronic pain. I think that there was like so much going on that I didn't even know what to feel or like I didn't even know what to think. So I was, um, I had these like terrible migraines and my neck went out and I spent a lot of time in bed because I couldn't and I was like, I didn't do a lot of work. Um, that's how I dealt with it a lot of the time. Like I physically couldn't like function. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like, you know, you hear women in like the, um, like in the Freudian era, like they were, got hysterical symptoms and were like in bed with cold washcloths, but that really was me. And my kids would say like, Oh mom, are you feeling okay? I mean, I'd like was in bed in the dark with these like crazy migraines. And, um, the day that we found out that my dad might have leukemia, I woke up two days later and I couldn't move my neck. It was the day of the solar eclipse. 
And I remember thinking like, oh, this is so weird. I can't move my neck. And then I was like, oh, it's not a big deal. My dad will be fine. And like somewhere in the back of my head, I thought, oh my God, if I can't move my neck today, what's going to happen if he dies? Like what will happen to my body if he dies? Like, and I did know that that was some sort of like physical reaction. But I think that's how I was dealing with it. Because like in my mind, I just was like, I was like high functioning and positive and moving forward because I you know, my dad moved to New York and I needed to show up for him and I needed to show up for my kids and I had this divorce, then I needed to like push through and I just needed to get stuff done. How hard is it for you to actually give in to like, like to push forward, but then also to give in when it's needed to give in, like to actually stay in bed. I can, you know, as a mom myself and having gone through many ups and downs, very, intense emotional ups and downs and stress and anxiety that's caused me to have a lot of um very debilitating symptoms that you know make me you know exhausted or or you know borderline unable to function one of my struggles is just the boundaries like giving to myself and and allow you know what you know figuring out what you know when to stop because as a mother and with all the responsibilities it's very hard to do that and to know that. So is that, is that something that you've, you've I mean, I want to be really clear that I have f- like full-time childcare from nine to six. So <laughs> this is, you know, I definitely have, um, this is an advantage of my white privilege that I, when I did not um, feel like I could go to work because of my physical pain, I could lie down. And I have a friend who's here, um, who's traveled here. She's a, refugee from Afghanistan who also suffers from debilitating migraines and she has um, a young daughter who had um, a cochlear implant and when she has debilitating migraines and is vomiting um, she can't I mean she doesn't have childcare, and she is dealing with her young daughter and getting her son off to school and trying to manage you know getting her daughter the health care that she needs so um that's an, it's an option for me to lie down if I need to. And if it's really bad at night, I can probably, I can, if my ex-husband is home, he can come over. But, um, I'm really not one to like suffer when I don't need to. So I'll ask for help if I need it. And, um, I can't, I mean, they're bad. I feel like I have an ice pick in my eye. So if I do need to lie down, I'll get the help. So that's not like a real struggle. Like you, you know, oh, no, I really like, um, <laughs> no, uh, no, I wish probably it was more of a struggle, but if I, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not like moving around blindly, like wailing, but I, um, I, um, grew up in a house where my mom was often sick and we knew about it. And if I don't feel well, I kind of just try to take care of it and and keep it separate from my kids, probably which is why I just like shut the door and come out when I'm feeling better so they don't really need to be exposed to it. Right. Because that was hard for you? Yes. Because you felt like a burden. You felt like it was your fault or? Yes. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Because that's what kids do. Mm-hmm. Did that connect or relate at all to... Well, getting to your dad, I'm struck by and extremely moved by, as I said, by what, what you have been writing about him and to him in, on your Instagram. I think it should definitely be 
a riveting, it would be a riveting book. And, and it also makes you really think a lot. It makes me think a lot about, you know, just my, my husband, you know, just, it it just makes you reflect a lot on dads and like Mm -hmm. the importance of them in your life. And I, I rarely, I think I've rarely seen or heard of a relationship as intense between the two of you. I've texted you a couple of different times because I've been so moved by it. And I think I've said that possibly, or I felt if I didn't say that it's so fantastic, it's so amazing that you had these feelings even though I know that you're going through a lot and it's so incredibly difficult to have lost him, you did have this amazing relationship. It's funny to hear you say that because, um, so my dad died a month short of my 41st birthday and the entire, and for 40 years, I never really thought my dad and I had an extraordinary relationship at all. I always thought my mom was really cool and, um, I would always talk about my relationship with my mom because my mom, um, you know, my mom in a lot of ways is like you. She's very poetic and very bohemian and very boundaryless and super awesome. And she's the mom that all of um, my friends wanted to have. And spending time with my mom was like spending time with a friend. And, you know, she's like a mom worth bragging about. And my dad was always like the disciplinarian and he was a business guy and we fought all the time. We're very different and I grew up being pretty scared of him and we fought constantly and it was only in the past 10 years when we, um, I became a mom and he became my business partner that we began, that I began to understand who he was and respect who he was and sort of see like we've sort of began to stand like shoulder to shoulder in the world but um it's hard to explain but like talking or thinking about my dad is a close part of my life is like thinking about my arm or thinking about the air he was so much a part of who I am and who I was that it was never even worth thinking about or talking about my dad and I were so, he was so, he was so in my life and so integrated to who I was that it was never even worth thinking about. Um, so I never really thought about it until October when the idea that he might die was presented to us in, um, in a doctor's appointment. And it suddenly, like it really hit me that, holy shit, you know, dad might die this year. And after we were both just sort of dumbstruck by it, this doctor who we had been seeing and who'd been really positive, everyone had been really positive, suddenly said, um, you know, your odds are now one uh, one in five that you're going to make it through the year. And it was him and I sitting in the room. And she said, trying to control leukemia is like trying to control the ocean. And I just thought that was such a fucking bullshit thing to say to a man like, you know, a 74 year old man who's like a brilliant businessman who's been dealing with, you know, making business deals his whole life. Like he he was not the time to throw like a poetic statement at him. But it's funny because now I think that it probably was the right thing to say. And um, afterwards, I ran to the bathroom and I texted my friend Lisa and I said, um, 
my, there's a one in five chance that my dad's going to die this year. And I pressed send and then I peed and then I looked at that thing and I was like, why hasn't she written back? And I was like, oh, fuck. Because so I texted it to him. And so then I ran <laughs> oh out into gosh. the waiting room and I was like, give me your phone. And he's like, I already saw it. And he's like, I didn't hear it that way. And I was like, oh, my God. And uh, we rode an Uber back. And he was so tired at that point that um, he put his hand on my leg and he said, the good news is this is happening to me, not you. And um, we got back. And my sister had booked me this, like, crazy facial that day, this, like, awful like sadistic facialist on park avenue and i had been crying so hard and like how do you tell someone like where i mean i don't want to tell this woman where i'd been and i just tried to tell her like oh i've had a hard day my face usually isn't this puffy and she told me that um she told me i should come back she does this facial where she was licensed to draw my blood and she was gonna put i swear to god like she didn't take blood out and put it back in my skin to like revive my skin and she started doing this thing where she like zapped it and she was like wow your tolerance for pain is so low and um i just was thinking like it's so, like it's so stupid why was i trying to make my skin look better my dad was the one who was so sick and then uh, i went back and um, I had dinner with my dad, and we just sat and ate dinner in silence. And, you know, what do you do? With... We were just two people who had heard that there was a good chance he was going to die, and it was awful and sad and, and heavy. And, um, you know, it went from being my dad's, like I just always wanted him to fix everything, but I wanted to fix it, and um, there was nothing I could say. And that was basically what the next three months were like. Then I would take the L train home. And on the L, I used to see people I knew and just be like this, like a zombie, and not be able to talk to them. And I would get these headaches. And then I would have to go do work stuff the next day. And, um, like, my clients were mad at me, and the woman who worked with me was mad at me because I couldn't explain, like, oh, no, I spent all day yesterday in the hospital, and then it started to get worse, like... I couldn't say no. I've been at, I was at the hospital till midnight, and my dad was like getting radiation and peeing his pants, and because it just it didn't translate. And I knew that people were getting mad at me. And um, I also had a book coming out, and I was trying to show up for all of that, and um, and all of that started to wear on me. But most importantly, I just wanted to keep showing up for my dad and being like really strong and positive for him. And um, I think I did that till the end. But it really was like it really, it really wore me down. And um, if it was wearing on me, I can't imagine what it was doing to him. Um, your writing on Instagram and, and your speaking right now is so um, it's, I just feel, you know, deeply grateful for your honesty. And I guess that's, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, what's so incredibly captivating about all of this is that we don't talk about death in this culture and we don't confront death and we pretend that it's, or think that it's not going to happen to us. And one of the things as I like you, obviously, that we like to do is to bring all of these taboo subjects out into the open so that we no longer feel 
isolated. We can start to gain an understanding of these issues that are real and that happen. And we can, you know, we can gain strength from other people's experiences or, or not feel alone. So I just, I want to thank you so much for, for doing this. And um, particularly at this moment, even though I would have thanked you at the end, and I think I thanked you at the beginning, but I'm going to thank you right now again. I, I connected with you guys first because you came into my closet and we talked about my style. <laughs> and back then it was about, you know, my style and my business and those dresses. And then it was about um, my body. I was pregnant in that video. And now it's about like the insides. And um, so much of what this past year was about with my dad is learning about what um, the body is really about. My dad was an extremely handsome man, which I never really knew until I was much older, but he was like really hot. Sorry to be gross, but he was hot. So he was like the hot dad, like really hot. And like women will come up to me now and be like, I w- your dad was so hot when, you know, you were younger that like we couldn't even look him in the eyes. So my dad was really hot. He was six foot six and he was like hot, like Don Draper hot. And um, even when he, at the age of 70, he still was really attractive. And I never really took the time to understand my dad's disease. Um, I think for because I didn't want to and because he was so healthy and vigorous and because he was my dad. And uh, my dad was an all-star basketball player. He played in the Senior Olympics 20 years ago. Um, he's a tennis player. Um, he just what, you know, he wouldn't yell at me for using NutraSweet. He was very healthy. He was always like cooking a duck breast and like making oatmeal and having his like dark chocolate every day. And, um, and, uh, he's a healthy guy. My, I was raised in, you know, green juice and home, homeopathy and no vaccines. And when my dad began, um, to do chemotherapy and his body sort of began to break down. Um, it really made me reconsider and question all of this, like really what is the body and what are like, what am I doing and what are we doing? And, and what is this thing that we consider like healthy and beautiful? And my dad needed a stem cell transplant because his white blood cell count was so high. And then they basically, his white blood cell count got so low that he was so weak and they needed to take all of his bone marrow out and replace it with his sister's bone marrow. And the idea was that his sister's bone marrow, her white blood cells were going to engraft in his bone marrow and he was going to grow all this new bone marrow and then he would live for the next 20 years. So the bone marrow is where all of your blood cells are, is where all of your white blood cells, red blood cells are stored. And that's where all of your life force comes from. Like think about like that expression, like the marrow of life. So we're waiting for all of his, these new blood cells to engraft in my dad's bones. And during that period of time, his immune system had gotten so weak and he was so anxious that his heart started beating really fast. And then after his heart started beating really fast and he started coughing and after he started coughing he got a virus and then his body just started shutting down and this all happened in a week and the next thing you knew he was in a coma and then basically like his whole body started melting and then he was hooked up to all these tubes and then a few days later he died 
And I said to the doctor, like, what the fuck, like, what the fuck just happened? Because a week earlier, they said, like, oh, don't worry about it. His heart is just like a fast heartbeat. And then like a few days later, they said, like, oh, don't worry about this. It's just a cough. And then when they got the virus, they said, oh, don't worry about it, because we'll just treat the virus. And then I said to her, like, you just kept telling us, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And she said, like, you don't realize how much work your body is doing at all times. And I saw my dad's, like the inside of my dad's body fall apart. And as the inside fell apart, his whole body, like the outside fell apart. Like his eyelashes fell out. This was not even from the chemotherapy. Like the hair fell, his hair fell out. Like his skin sort of just like everything like fell down. He got like cold. He looked like he was melting. His skin was hot and then it got cold. And then he was no longer my dad. And then he just like stopped breathing on his own. But so, like, if I were to take my clothes off right now and to ask, and you were to say, like, whatever the question was, like, why your body is a good, why place is your body be? a good place to be? It's like because all systems are firing right now. We're made up of these three things, like their mind, like our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. And like for today, all three of those things are like functioning for me at a very high level. And not only that, like my body, which we've talked about, like. I put a lot of drugs in it and like didn't take very good care of it. And I've also like had my babies and everything's like working fine for today. But just like that, mm. like that, like one day my dad was tired and the next day I had leukemia and a couple months later he died. And like that's sort of the end of the story. Like that's the end of the line. Mm-hmm. But until and I, you know, you always hear stories like, oh, my God, my friend like had a headache and the next day she discovered a brain tumor. And then like a few days later she died. Like that story had never happened to someone I know. But it did happen, and then it really, like as a woman, it's like a woman with two kids now who does not sort of have the security of, you know, my dad really made me feel secure, or my ex-husband really did feel to me like he was the one that was going to hold the, you know, when like the wolves came huffing and puffing, he would keep the walls from falling down. And now that those, you know, those, those like figureheads are not there to keep, like the structure in place. I'm very aware of the fact that um, there's like n- sometimes nothing can be done. You'd like some that we are really powerless over like forces that are much bigger than ourselves. And death is one of those forces. Mm-hmm. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe and give us a good rating so the powers that be can keep this podcast going. How have you changed? My dad was like constantly wanted me. It was like pushing me to get a desk job up until like a few weeks before he died. He did not like it when I was like super honest, like about like where I was in my life in my newsletters and stuff. So part of like this new, (laughs) and by the way, I was not saying anything about his illness on my Instagram or the newsletter because he didn't want me to. Like it was the second he died when I was like... All right. (laughs) Um, Like, let the floodgates open. I mean, not really, but I did have to ask my mom and everyone in my family, like, is this okay? Because I had all these pictures on my phone and all these, like, stories in my head. A lot of what this year has been about is, like, no longer feeling like I have to be um, pretty in my marriage anymore because it really didn't do any... I mean, that was not... That didn't really... I mean, I was trying to, like... Physically pretty, you mean? Pretty physically or acting? What do you mean by that when you say pretty? I mean, there were a lot of things in the marriage that weren't working, and I thought if I just kept myself and the home and my voice and everything, like, pretty, 
Yeah, but what does that mean, pretty in quotes, to you? You know, there was a certain level of authenticity that was sort of missing to all of it. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. And um, probably, like, if you were to look at some of my writing now, it's probably pretty different than it was when I was married. And uh, same with when my dad was alive. Because... I was trying to keep everything a little bit more watered down because if I wasn't, I would hear it, I think, from both of them. I mean, my dad and my husband were also best friends, which is a whole other interesting dynamic. Hmm. So I think since my dad died, I'm a little less, um, and since my marriage split up, I just care a lot less about what I'm just a lot freer in my communication. And what are there other places you're freer? I don't know. I can see like a humong- a huge transformation. But like in what? Because you're extremely present and there's no surface. And as a result, for my taste, never more beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. You're obviously very raw. We're not experts in anything. All we do is give a platform to people to be honest. And we just learn from the collective of that, of what that means. And what we have discovered is that vulnerability is the strength. Mm -hmm. It's also, I know for myself, just talking to you right now and seeing you this way and understanding how, how, you know, much pain you're in and and how much pain you've gone through and we've had this experience many times over with the amount of people that we've interviewed it's helped me a lot with my own life and i and i and lily can speak for herself but i i know it's helped her and i know it's helped mona and i know it's 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 opening up a lot for tia and it it's made me more comfortable with the the dark things in life you know, like not afraid of the dark things in life, like less afraid or just taking these things as something that's going to bring you somewhere, you know, that it's even though it's just it's horrific. I used to think in the fall. Um, oh, dad, will dad will be fine in the spring. He'll be fine and I will be. And everything will be so much better because I'll think of life so differently. Because he'll be fine and I'll have been through this horrible thing and I'll never take anything for granted again. Like that's what I thought every night before Mm -hmm. I went to bed. I was like, it's just going to be, everything's going to be so much better. And now I have to remember like, okay, dad died, but I can still hold on to the rest of the stuff. Like, everything can still be better. I still don't have to take anything for granted. And I'm still here, and I still survived. And, like, the time to keep going. Did the whole... Did the whole... Is that... What can I ask you? Yeah. Is that something that you feel you're able to hold on to as far as, like, the perspective of not taking things for granted? Or is it something that is still remains, like, work to remind yourself of? No, I do feel that way now. You do? Mm-hmm. So can you talk, like, what is... What does that look like on a daily basis for those of us who are <laughs> may not be there yet? So, you know, my dad went from living this like 
in this beautiful apartment with my mom in Chicago that overlooks Lake Michigan and um, going up to like our cabin in Michigan in the summers and like, you know, his, this cat that he loved, he loved reading the Chicago Tribune every morning. He loved playing basketball during the week. And um, he just used to say, in his doctor's appointment, he'd just say, I want to go home and be with Ellen, who's my mom. And then he would say to me, I just want to read the paper every morning. And, um, you know, just really simple. He just, and then he would say, I just want to go to Sleepy Hollow this summer, which is the place we go in Michigan. He just wanted to feel well. Mm-hmm. He wanted to, like, drink coffee in the morning and read the paper in his pajamas with the cat. He wanted to sleep in bed with my mom. And the last, um, this crazy thing happened, the last, lucid day of his life he was very lucid and he called my mom and said I had the best dream that we were in bed together and I was spooning you and um and he said I can see the river out my window because he could see the east river from the intensive care unit he said river of hope river of desire he was very poetic and very clear and I remember thinking is this what people are like the day before they die but um Everyone said, oh, no, it's just because he's on the mend. But then I read about it after he died, and there's a phrase called terminal lucidity, which is um, before people die, they get these bursts. It's almost like cosmic. So he was, like, really, really, really clear. But so, honestly, it sounds silly, like very small things. My dad was, you know, I'm, like, very grateful to have, like, a beautiful apartment. I'm really grateful that... Last night, like, I got in bed with my daughter, and she read Where's Waldo while I read a book. You know, I'm grateful I have, like, nice pajamas and, like, (laughs) that I got to have, like, coffee with a friend in the West Village this morning, which is, like, so chic. And, I mean, like, who gets to do that, honestly? That might sound so silly, but, like, it's, like, a beautiful morning in July, and I get, like, an iced coffee on West 4th Street and, like, a croissant. I mean, my dad... Like, just really little things in life that I know that's what he wanted to stay alive for. Mm -hmm. He wanted to stay alive to, like, teach my daughter how to swim this summer and to have ice cream and to sleep with my mom and to read the paper. I mean, he had, and, and and I don't take any of that for granted anymore. Wow. I mean, that's like, yeah, I mean, it's a gift. I mean, like on the way over here, I was talking to Rachel Fleet, who I know you guys know, and she was saying she wanted to come over on Saturday. And I was like, oh, cool. Can I make you a smoothie? I mean, like I am so excited for my friend to come over on Saturday to Mm. make her a smoothie so I can hang out with my friend. Like that is so, I mean, maybe I sound like the world's biggest dork. No. But like how (laughs) great that I have a friend who I love that I can make a smoothie for. And, and has that, what, what is the contrast compared to like a year ago? I mean, I just, this might sound so silly, but I really am like just grateful for the things I love, like good meals and, and friends and family and children and like moments Mm -hmm. that, um, that is what my dad was fighting Mm -hmm. for. And I would feel it because I would leave him in that fucking hospital. And, um, you know, I would walk out. So in the hospital, we were had to wear these gloves, these paper masks, and these full body like suits. And I would leave him in there. He was in quarantine after the stem cell transplant. My brother came in once and was like, it was the day he got his 
new stem cells. And it was December 19th. It was like a like a gorgeous spring day. And my brother said, "Do you guys? Can you guys believe how beautiful it is outside?" And I was like, "My dad hadn't been outside in ten days." But um, you know, he was confined to the hospital where the walls were yellow and the ceilings were peeling, and um, he couldn't breathe any fresh air. And I would walk out of the hospital and I would go home and take a shower with like Dr. Bronner's soap and I would like eat Thai food with my kids and just feel like, fuck, he's still in that hospital and he's going to be there for 20 days. And he never got out of the hospital. He died in the hospital, which sucks. Mm -hmm. But um, he was fighting to live to read the paper and have coffee and sit Mm -hmm. at the beach and watch the fireworks, you know, small stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really like love the small things in my life now well your writing is communicating all of that it's like his voice or something like because you talk so much about all of these details like the I forget what it was but like the type of fruit that's on the sidewalk that you smush and walk Uh over in Chicago yeah like Mm -hmm. everything is like very 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 detailed and very you can visualize all of it and taste it and feel it and it's totally intoxicating. I sit, my husband has no interest in social media and does no social media and couldn't care less about social media, but I sit at night with him and cat, or when we're driving out outside of the city in the summer, I read every one of your posts to him like a book, like (laughs) either at night night in bed or when we're driving. (laughs) And he's going, wow. And like, It's over both like the writing and how you're expressing it. But like now that you're saying all this, it's how he expresses. It sounds like it's how he saw life. Yeah, we grew up like the street I grew up in very much looked like this. Like we would sit on the stoop, play catch at the end of the night with the dog. Like he was a very, he liked simple, like simple pleasures. It feels a little bit like, you're so in touch with all that he gave you. Like you said before, I never had to talk about it because we were the same. But at the same time, there's a certain freeing. Mm -hmm. Just to be clear, we were not the same. I mean, my dad was, he was um, very bohemian in his own way, but he also um, was, had like certain, was like conventional thinker and he was, he likes I think was like sometimes like to romanticize that I was like sort of like his screwed up second daughter maybe like I can hear him saying like oh Molly if you heard me say that but um he we started to have a lot of conversations in the couple months before he died he was like very scared about like was I going to be able to make enough money now that I was divorced and like I should go back to work and get, you know, a real job at a desk. And um, he worried a lot about me, which was annoying and also like comforting in its own way. But um, I did feel like I had to prove myself to him a lot of the time. So I don't feel that way anymore because he's dead. I mean, I don't. So that is, you know, I feel free to do. I'm like doing different things in my work now that I was. This is a little bit of a topic shift, but just um, can you talk a little bit about like how it has been for you running a business that is based on the idea of marriage and then going through a divorce? Because I think it's pretty amazing that you've been so honest about it and that you're 
I don't know. It feels to me like it somehow like strengthened your work even. And um, I, I can imagine that that was maybe difficult. And yes, I would be so interested to hear how you. Okay, let me rally. Yeah. So, let Sorry, me rally I know again. it's a totally new topic, but I couldn't let the interview go by without asking. <laughs> I was not planning on getting a divorce. And I was really freaked out about it because we split up right before my book came out, which was called Love, Lust, and Wedding Planning for the Wild at Heart. And I was trying to keep it under wraps because I did not want it to hurt my book sales. But after a period of time, on Mother's Day, I decided I was going to put a post up about it. And um, it turned out to be actually the most liked and commented post second to my dad's death. And I've been thinking about you know, everyone thinks divorce is this terrible thing. Whenever I tell people I'm going through it, they always say, I'm so sorry. Or then there's the Gwyneth Paltrow model of consciously uncoupling, which just seems so like fairy dusty. Like if she just like dust, she, they just like, they both like put on tutus and like, <laughs> like skipped away from each other, which I don't believe either. And I was one, you know, and a lot of my clients who I did their wedding dresses are now have reached out to me and asked me to take their pictures off the website because they're divorced. And I don't think divorce necessarily means like you felt like your heart is like like a charred like it's like a charred black sausage and you never want to love again. It just means that it you know that for whatever reason the marriage didn't necessarily work out. But even I said in my book, why don't you just write in your vows? You know, even if we fall out of love, we still are committed to honoring whatever it is that we had together, or whatever. So um, I was just trying to play around with, you know, why can't marriage and divorce sort of exist in the same space? And it appears that sort of they can. And we're considering changing the name Stone Fox Bride to Stone Fox Ride and sort of (laughs) making the business about these like cool transitions we have in our lives, whether it's marriage or second marriages or divorce or loss or motherhood or whatever it is. I'm certainly in a place in my life where I'm less interested in talking about marriage, but much more excited to talk about like, you know, these position places in our lives where we're in flux. But for me, divorce doesn't, doesn't feel like this place where I'm like widowed, like sad in a room. It's actually this place of great possibility because I'm, you know, I'm, my heart feels very open. I still do have a really interesting and vibrant relationship with the man I, you know, got married to, we still have kids together. We still every day are forced to interact and create a new relationship together. And I don't think that that's unique just to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to sort of open up the space and play with it. And um, it seems there's like a lot of interesting responses to it. So I'm just sort of like learning it as I go. Mm. But it doesn't, there's no like pushback to it. The interesting thing is I can't be that honest about it because there, you know, he has got his own version of the story and my kids will have their own version. So I have to, that part of Mm -hmm. it is a little challenging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's definitely a great thing also to get out into the open though. I mean, and I think you're right. Like the reality and truth of life, obviously is that things are always changing and we, and and it's not these solid things that we think are everything. And like the only thing that are going to make us happy. And it's actually, maybe actually even in those moments of flux that flux, that you really are that's when you really feel the most like sort of peaceful Mm -hmm. and yet we're so scared of those moments you know 
which is such a good thing to talk about. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the, it's, it's what all the marketing does and everything. Like you have this thing, you do this thing, you get married, you have, you check off your boxes. This is going to make you happy. Right. It's the things you don't see that are where a lot of the Beauty. joy is and the happiness is and the feeling of peace. And yeah. Right. Especially like, it's like all in the world of social media, it's like all the, t- it's all the things you don't see. That's probably where like the real story, it's like, that's where mm-hmm. the real interesting stuff is. Yeah, right. The moments where the most happy are the ones usually when our phones are not right. anywhere and near us. And we're communicating anything because <laughs> yeah. how could you be really enjoying life and communicating something at the same time? There's this place from in Williamsburg where they make ice cream that like oh. smokes. Well, all I knew is it's smoky ice cream. And so my kids are so, like, irritating. that, And, like, the sun goes down so late that I'm just... And I'm home alone with them a lot of the time. So I'm trying to, like, figure out things to do with them. So I'm like, I saw this place that makes smoky ice cream. I didn't know how the ice cream smoked. <laughs> but last night they had... Um, like really good doctor's appointments. I was like, let's go celebrate. I took them to a nice dinner. It's like me and a three-year-old and a six-year-old. We played tic-tac-toe. I was like, let's go get the smoky ice cream. So I don't know. I thought it was like ice cream that actually smoked. So hold on. So we went to this like place on Metropolitan. We walked in and it turns out it's just like ice cream in a plastic cup there's a point to the story and they put the ice cream in and then they put these like nitroglycerin balls under the ice cream so it's just like steam it's like whatever like cold what's yeah. that called dry ice. Oh. it's dry ice everyone dry there ice. was eating it doing um selfies not the selfies a thing where they're doing a story and there's like a mouse face oh, right, on there right oh yeah so and oh. then my daughter, by the way, the ice cream cost it was nine it was seven ninety nine, but then to get the dry ice, it was an extra dollar. So it was nine dollars for the smoky plastic cup of ice cream and everyone was eating it like this. And I was looking at my daughter thinking, like, Oh, this is her world. Like when I grew up we would go to get a little scoop of Italian ice, I think it was a dollar. But she's growing up in the world where it's like a ten dollar smoky ice cream and like ser- I'm not kidding, everyone yeah. in the space was eating it, even when if they were on a date taking pictures of themselves with like the mouse thing it was it's really Scary. something i felt like we were in another i it's felt like, like it was in um in like 12 monkeys no it's like the future or different I felt like yes. it was in a different country the future is here right and also like how about all of right. the like quote-unquote like art installations but are actually just like these pop-up events that are just instagram backdrops like you walk through yeah. these, like things or and just or but instagram and backdrops. i think like those ice cream places are actually just made so people instagram right right so they can and, well it's well, a gimmick to grow yeah everything is being made for this like karaoke culture is being made to be even more karaoke like so that we can be more karaoke like the thing that like things are just made so that we can even be karaoke on steroids I'm not sure I understand the karaoke thing. I like karaoke. karaoke for basically like this idea that like nothing is real anymore. It's all like that. I love, when I pop- think of karaoke, I think of like 1997. It's like a like, dive bar. bar. I'm talking about no, she's it in talking, terms she's of using it metaphorically not that nothing is, instead of the real thing, it's the karaoke version of like you know like we're life. doing we're we're you <laughs> know like, like hippies 70s kind of. dress like everything is just a redo of something that's already been done and nothing is new and original and authentic and like from the bottom. Yes. Like that we haven't thought no of roots. already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No roots. So like, so like there's I love of... how she uses it with like assuming that the whole world knows know. what well, I actually about. swiped it from, um, in all honesty, yeah. from Malcolm McLaren. Uh, 
who did a, an amazing talk that I highly, highly, is it a, highly is it recommend. A TED talk? Uh-uh. She does. She yes, used to. No, it's not a TED talk. You, you always say it's you a TED send talk. it to me. It's, it's not a, unbelievable. It was Ted, the TED blog posted it, and it's not a TED. Talk. Okay, but it's all. It's called authenticity versus karaoke culture. Okay. And I first came across it about. Um, I don't know, like, you know, when we, within the first few, few, like in the middle of style, like you like three or four years in and I was like, everything that we're like kind of trying to figure out with what we're doing with style like you, he's talking about. Oh, okay. <laughs> Should we go to some of these now? Just the last couple of questions. Yeah. Why was it you and your father, you and like, you were saying that you were like the, 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 the wacky, you know, like unconventional second kid, not doing the conventional things and that you fought a lot. But at the end of the day, you, it was, it seemed like by what you're describing and maybe I'm wrong, that the end was very much you and him a lot. Well, a lot of it was practical. So, um, the hospital was in New York. My dad was in Chicago. My mom stayed in Chicago. My sister lives in New York, but she has a full-time job and my brother lives in Toronto and I work for myself. So I make my own schedule, which means I could go to a lot of his doctor's appointments and I could take the time off. So he would say like, I need to go to the Apple store tomorrow. And I would say, all right, well, I'll take the day off tomorrow or I want to have lunch tomorrow. Okay. I'll take the day off tomorrow. I mean, it was like practical like that. I would be there even if I had a full-time job with a, like a tyrant boss, I was not going to leave his side. Like, so I checked my dad into the hospital and, um, his first roommate was this guy named Bill who was very sick. And in the middle of the night, my dad called me crying and said, "He's get, this guy's getting last rites. He said, I can't take it anymore. He's getting last rites in bed. But I was the one that he called crying. And then when it was his time to check out of the hospital for that first round of chemo, my brother was there checking him out. But I just knew that my dad wanted me there. So I canceled my meeting and just said, I'll stay with you. I said, thank you. But mm-hmm. I was, it was, I just knew I needed to be there for all that stuff. Was there a recognition, something between you and during that period that hadn't been there before from him to you in terms of this? Yes. There was one day right before his transplant where his nose started bleeding a lot. And I went with him to the emergency room and we had to stay there till two in the morning. And it was like, a, it had been just an awful week, a really busy week for me. It's the week my book came out and he said, you know, you can go home now. And I said, I'm not, you know, don't be silly. I'm not leaving. And at some point that night he looked at me and he said, you're my rock, which was, that was the recognition. Because to be a rock, to no one was a rock to my dad. I mean, my dad was everyone else's rock. And I know that that was pretty major. Do you watch Transparent? Mm -hmm. So you know that uh, the relationship that Gabby Hoffman has with her dad reminds me a lot of mine with my dad. Mm. There's just like a sweetness to it that you Mm -hmm. can't, it's like, because she's the one. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so what does self-acceptance mean to you? Sitting here, not moving, looking you in the eye, not looking in my phone, talking. Full heart, open eyes, open hands, open arms. I really do feel like those. Yeah. There are just moments sometimes where I can just sit in the chair mm-hmm. and just sit. In I the really chair. feel that from you. Sit in the chair. 
it's like giving me this really deep sense of like you know what it is such a gift when someone sits across from you without their phone and is like Mm -hmm. look in their eyes Look and will really give you their attention. You know who used to do that with my dad? Well, my rabbi, Amichai, will do it, who you guys really should do a thing with. People who will do that are rare, who put right. their phone away and will sit and listen and respond. Mm-hmm. And and it's that is acceptance. And I try to really do that. It's like the mind is not, you're not on your phone. You're not anywhere. You're present. Mm. It's such a gift. That's mm. what I try to do with my kids. Like, is there anything worse than sitting with someone who's no. like, or like, I used to go on dates with guys in high school who would be like, that's like soul crushing. Mm. Where's look, the next thing they look at the other girls? Oh my God. Or, or when people are looking on their phone, you're they're the, what they're really saying is that you're not enough. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like yeah. being with you is not enough. Anytime someone picks up their phone, anytime it's a business meeting or a personal thing. When they're talking to you, it means like you're not enough. Mm. Right. And I can imagine the heartbreak that kids have, little kids, when their parents are always on the phone with them. Mm. Such a challenge of today. Oh, my God. That is the biggest. That's the challenge. That's the biggest challenge. How to do that. I know. Whoa. So nothing. No, that was the last. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Love you. So much. So much. Was it as hard as you thought it was going to be? We hope you were inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode and subscribing to our podcast. You can also watch our videos by subscribing to our YouTube channel and following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook using the handle at StyleIQ. That's the letter U instead of the word U. And check out our book, True Style is What's Underneath, The Self-Acceptance Revolution, on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There's no finding oneself when glossing over the truth. what's up my name is Kaylin and I am the host of what I like to call coffee talks and what the coffee talk podcasts are are pretty much just exactly that if we were sitting physically face-to-face having a chat over coffee the types of things that we would talk about Coffee Talk podcasts go up every single Monday to start your week off right, and we cover everything from adulting to mental health to all the nitty-gritty in between, including Gossip Girl references and food-related, you know, food-related things. So whether you need a podcast to start you off on the right foot in the morning or to wind down with your decaf at the end of the day, I highly suggest you make your way on over and join the Coffee Talk crew because, I mean, there's a space, there's space for all of us here, and the coffee is unlimited and free pouring. Let's chat all things life, coffee, and everything in between. Hi, this is Candace Lowry from Persister. Persister is a podcast where I interview badass women who've broken down barriers to really make a name for themselves. I'm talking to actors, entrepreneurs, and just women who know how to get stuff done and can help you learn how to get ahead. You can listen to Persister on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.